Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have award-winning author Judith Spizer Crandall. Her new novel is titled The Woman Puzzle and was published by Devil's Party Press. So welcome to the podcast, Judith. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, we're delighted to have you. And one of the first things that kind of struck me about your book is this really interesting cover. And the cover has these sort of like mosaic sort of pieces to it, which sort of in the synopsis sort of of the book, you know, the the question is, can a broken woman collect these pieces and kind of move forward? And I was just sort of I just loved how the those two pieces kind of connected right right off the top. And, you know, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about, you know, the the inspiration to, to kind of move forward with the woman puzzle. Okay, thank you. Um, when I originally wrote the rough draft, uh, a lot of people didn't want to talk about women and sexual harassment and, and, and the type of rape that is involved here. It was raw and it was not the time. And so I picked it up several years later and reworked it and now with the me too movement and everyone speaking out it seems the time it's been going on for a very long time however and i think that um i really connected with Anne. i felt like she had eight years with her father who loved her and that type of relationship which not everyone has but some people do enabled her to say hey you know what I can get past this somehow. But she goes through a lot of stuff before she can get past it. And she, you know, some of it is, uh, has some autobiographical material. The interesting thing that happened was I have a very close friend and she knew my stepfather who did not rape me. I just want to say that. (laughs) Um, He probably had some thoughts about me that Mm -hmm. were inappropriate. But um, she called me, and she was angry at me after reading um, the book, and she said, I can't believe you didn't tell me about this. Uh, And I said, come on, Robin, what are you talking about? It's fiction. And she said, well, if he did that, I said, stop, stop, it's fiction. And the thing is, there are a lot of things, and some of them are overt to some women and men, and some of them are buried. And this book is, I see it as a beacon because Anne really goes through it. She really does work on her life, and it's not easy, and you're not sure she's going to make it. Mm. And um, I really, to me, she's real. Yeah, to me, she's a very real woman. Well, the idea is that when you're putting these things back together, there's always going to be, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be as as it was before it was broken or before 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 the trauma. The after trauma is going to have to doesn't necessarily have to reflect the trauma, but certainly be a product of at least the overcoming Absolutely. of the trauma. Absolutely. And I think at various stages in everyone's life, there is trauma. And she experienced it when she was eight years old. Some people experience it when they're 35 or 67. It, it, there's, and, and men too. It's not just women who have trauma. And I think that the, this character to me has been very real. I was always rooting for her to find her way out. But truthfully, until I got to the end of the book, I didn't know she 
what you would do. Mm. I don't want to give right. it away. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's fine. That's I don't want to give it away. But no. um, it really helped for my life to have some broken things worked on. And so I did pull some things, and they often say the first novel, and I've written like nine, but this is the very first one I had done. The first novel tends to have some more autobiographical material. And so it's how you, um, what you do with it. But she definitely isn't me, and the people in her life aren't the people in my life. But let's face it, we draw from what we know. Oh, 100%. I mean, Tony sometimes talks about, you know, that thin veil between author and character and you know how much of us sort of bleeds onto the page you know and I think that um you know when your your friend calls you you know upset like how dare you not tell me and <laughs> you know and I think that there's sometimes a you know an automatic suspicion that are especially in fiction that the protagonist is going to be some or all or parts or you know whatever makeup of you know the writer that's going into it which is like you said, you know, our experiences often inform those characters, but once that character sort of hits the page, you know, they've got their own, they've got their own legs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you think, I, I guess when I think of it as a puzzle, that everyone's life is a puzzle, I'm sure there are pieces of Anne's puzzle that I got from me, mm. you know, but she's unique. I feel like she's almost like a sister in terms of our relationship. And I lived with her. Oh, you do. Yeah. hundred percent. You live with them. And I think that one of the things we're kind of getting at here is this idea that you can, you're projecting in your first novel, as you, as you were saying, you're not as good at projecting yourself into the character. So you have to loan some of yourself to the character to get that character jump started. And then I think as you progress, you're better at saying, okay, now I, and can inhabit the character rather than project upon the character. Yeah. Does that think, sound right? Well, it's a mixture because knowing that I that the original writing, I was younger and I hadn't experienced a lot of things and the healing was, for me, was still going on. And then picking it up last year and doing it with um, a writing group, which I highly recommend to people to have, you know, um, co-writers with you to just throw it against and get some ideas. And as I reworked it, I was reworking it from a from a different level. I had been through a lot in terms of my writing, et cetera, and so that I could make it a better novel mm. by picking it up later. And um, Anne became more real to me and, and more separate. You know, she's not me. So, um, but I absolutely adore her, and, you know, I root for her. <laughs> yeah. When you say that... Was it the was it the the rise of the Me Too movement that sent you back to the novel, or was there some something else where you're like, because that we've spoken with a lot of authors who were like, you know, I put it down and then I picked it back up. I mean, I think everybody does that. So was it was it did the Me Too movement kind of ring your bell on that, or were there other motivations for picking this novel back up? I picked it back up because I love this novel, and I wanted it to be really, really as good as it could be. Early on, there were agents, there were people, and it was called Midlist, and you know all those kind of things happened. And so then I went on, and I did other novels. And when it came to working with this group, I thought, I wonder, with the Me Too movement, with the fact that people will talk about rape and talk about harassment and talk about what happened in the churches and you know just the things that were out there and in you know Hollywood, et cetera, mm. there were so. People were talking about it, and I thought maybe now's a good time to look at this novel again. 
and and um, and make it as with a more mature person writing it see how I could polish it and make it a better book and and getting feedback helped a lot so I think it's a better novel than when I started with it I'd like to think that I've improved as a writer over right, the years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you also said too that when you when you first had it, you had two agents that were like, "Yeah, we're this kind of material we're not going to touch now." But then to come to a point where you have um, Devil's Party Press, David and Diane, who are who own that, and to, for them to pick up the ball and say, "Yeah, absolutely, we will we will publish a work that does go into these complicated issues that are uncomfortable or." you know, things that are, that we need to talk about and we need, that need to be part of the public sphere. And I think that, you know, is a, it kind of is, is a good bolster. Yeah. Devil's Party Press, besides the fact that it's writers over 40, so a more mature writer, they're not afraid of things. No. They're no. not afraid of things. And I think that um, early on when I was at a Woodstock writing conference in New York, I met um, Betty Ballantyne and her husband who started Ballantine Books. And Betty said she'd read it. Now this is a rough draft. Mm. And I gave it to her and she gave me this great advice. She said, you know what? We as the readers do not need to re-experience every molestation, every rape of Anne in order to get what happened. Right. And I think having um, just enough in there so that you know what she went through and the trauma without recreating it. The reader doesn't need to go through the whole thing again. What I mean, that has stayed with me. That has really stayed with me. That kind of, because she told you that a while ago or she told you that recently? A while ago. I was going to ask when you were talking about the difference between being older. Also, you were, I'm, I expect, because I think we all were, like a lot angrier and preacher when you were a kid and then as you as you get older and you come to it you you can come to it with a more subtle approach like like i do, i know i don't have to hit people over the head with this this is this is something Absolutely. that i can bring out i don't have to grab them by the neck yeah. and when you're a kid you're mad and you want to say listen to this Absolutely. but now you're like you know what it'll hit or it won't hit I've been saying, listen to this for the last 20 years and no one's listening. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you that that um, being younger and being part of the anti-war movement and having, you know, a lot of anger about what was going on and being in my 20s and being in my 30s with this, I was in a different place. And, you know, with maturity, I realized that um, we need to put it out there and the reader needs to decide. And, you know, I don't need to push it on anyone i just need to tell a story mm. and i need to come up with a character and i think i have who people care about to identify with a protagonist right. is so important i've read books where it was a good book but i can't think of one character in there who i'm rooting for right and i want to make it or in you know and i think that um you know, I have one friend who wrote back and she said, sometimes I just want to slap Anne. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, because she wants her to like get out of it. And I think patience, this is yeah. really a terrible thing that's happened to this young woman and you need some patience with it. So it was just interesting to, yeah. to deal with people's reactions. I, I also feel very exposed 
with putting her out there and putting her conundrum out there right. and, and her and her scars and what's happened. So, but um, I think as you get more mature, you've been through a lot. You've seen people who've been through a lot, and you're right. It is a different perspective, mm. and and a more measured one. I think absolutely. We were talking about getting older as as a writer. When you when you approach your other novels, do you do you feel like when you're looking back on your novels, you can see yourself change as a writer? Did you did you kind of find your voice? Because we were mentioning earlier this idea that you learn to inhabit characters as you get better at it. So you know, can you can you, when do you feel like you hit your stride? You said you've written nine. Did you hit your stride at eight or at two or? Well, first of all, I keep rewriting. Oh, I, mean, I see. You know, I don't know. I've been an editor. I've been a speechwriter. I've taught writing. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm writing a short story right now, and I just keep rewriting, and that's part of it. At some point, you let go, and I did let go of the woman puzzle. Mm-hmm. But I think the more I write, the more ex- I started in poetry. Then I moved to short stories. I was at the Cleveland Poetry Forum, which is like really well known, um, and. Uh, Mary Oliver, who's no longer with us, she was out of that, and she went to the same um, graduate school I did at Cleveland State. And so I moved from that to experimental writing and short stories, and then I went into the novels, and I kept changing changing it up. Now I'm doing a, a book right now that has to do with time travel, starting with two biblical characters. So I am really moving into other spheres mm-hmm. and trying out different things because that's what life's about for me is that you don't stay in the same place right and i learn with each book and i move on with each book and i have another book i'm working on that i'm reworking which is humorous called the queen of viagra and that's mm-hmm. obviously you can tell from the title right you know, right, right it's uh well, it's we, like... hope, we hope that it's humorous <laughs> but i wouldn't assume that until you told me because what do i know i don't know but it's you know someone about to turn 50 who's right. like this right. is like change of life and you know what am I doing and you know we've heard of men having that period of time where they go oh my god well this is a woman having that and Mm -hmm. um it's it's fun to do that but I'm bringing an older person to it I was younger when I wrote it right Right. I wasn't turning 50 when I wrote it (laughs) you know but I'm past 50 now so I think just to answer your question it it does keep moving and um, I think as a writer it's important for me to keep challenging myself Mm. and to keep moving into other things and i love magic realism which diane always touts me as the magic realism i say american magic realism because it's different than what we have from you know marquez and and um different writers like that who i love so i think it's important to keep like changing it up and challenging myself so that i keep getting into it and saying i want to do something even better Mm. even different so rewriting this book was important because i rewrote it as someone who was older yeah i think that speaks to one of the things that tony and i have talked about is that i also i'm a non-fiction person but i have a fiction project that i work on and i feel like sometimes it kind of makes me use different writer muscles in my mind you know the the, the muscles i'm used to in sort of non-fiction um you know i you know, when, when they get tired, I can stretch other muscles in, in the fiction project. So I feel like the switching in genres, switching from, you know, you know, magical realism to fiction to, you know, humor or whether it being poetry to short story to novel. I feel like all those things exercise, you know, some different muscles that we have 
sort of you know in the kind of in our in our writerly minds yeah i think it's just it's um it's like working out you know mm. you, if you stay with the same amount of weights and i'm not a big person who works out but sometimes and they keep upping the weights well we keep upping the weights right yeah, you know because it's like it needs to be a challenge or changing yeah. the or changing the routine change the routine yeah 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 just something to keep us evolving yeah and when you um so is this i'm sorry is this the first one you've published this is the first novel i've published mm. i've had short stories published i've had journalism published um i've had speeches given as <laughs> <So laughs> a speechwriter i always say that's probably the most fiction i wrote but that's kind of <laughs> a, an in-joke on speechwriters <laughs> what, what i was actually getting at is the yeah. the idea that the next novel you're working on do you have a better idea of the process to get it published now that you've already had one published? Like, what did you learn from this process that you're going to take with you? And what did you learn that you're going to, like, not do again? Or Well, I think the thing I learned was you need to know who your audience is. And, um, you know, with Diane and Dave, I mean, they have a clear idea in terms of that. And... Um, I don't know. I think that there's no one formula for me mm. because my books are all different. Mm. And so I'm doing more than one, which I don't like to do, but I am. I'm doing a new one that is the time travel mm. and I'm reworking the one that's humorous, the Queen of Viagra, and I'm writing some short stories. So because my day job is over um, right. as a speechwriter, I can now you know go up to my office and this is what I do. And that helps a lot rather than having a full-time job like I worked at Disney at one point and I'd come home at night and I'd be writing and it was long ago that I can say writing on a typewriter yeah. <laughs> and it does it does get exhausting um, when you're like I, I don't know about what you did at Disney but I know that the speech writing like when you were working with words all day and Stephanie knows this as well as anybody else and then you also go in there's there's just this there's this mental exhaustion, I think, that your your brain is the the wrinkles are kind of smoothed out a little bit sometimes at the end of the day, and it makes it really hard to catch your breath and then do your own work in your own voice. I, like switching back to your voice, like that must be a challenge. It is because I kept thinking, if only I was what a bricklayer, I you know worked in a bakery. If I did something that didn't have to do with words, because it's the same part of the brain. Mm. And it would, you know, you'd come home from dealing with doing speeches for other people and then going home and writing with, you've got words again. Um, but somehow I have managed to uh, keep going. I never stopped the fiction, no matter what jobs I had. And I had intense jobs, mm -hmm. but um, I just kept writing and it was just, it was what I did. Mm. It was what I did. And I think writers who are, you know, I get a lot of people who say, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. And I've always, and I thought, then do it. Either you do it or don't talk about it. You know, <laughs> there's just, it's, I mean, I hate to be that way. I've taught, you know, and I just say, if you really want to do it, you're going to do it. But talking about it won't get it done. Yeah, no. And I think a lot of people, you know, there was a, I think Margaret Atwood has sort of this, she had once talked about how she had been at a cocktail party and 
I, I kind of go to this anecdote a lot, yeah. but it, it kind of feels timely that she went to this cocktail party and someone said, you know, like, what do you do? And she said, I'm a writer. And it was like, oh, I think I'm going to write a book when I retire. And she says, oh, well, I think I'll try brain surgery when I retire. <laughs> you know, I think there's this misconception among people that, you know, that, you know, all oh, you just sit down and you just t- tippity tap, tippity tap, and it all comes out and it's all fine and whatever. But I think a person who is a writer and you were just talking about, I rewrite, I rewrite. And that I think basically is what writers do. We have an idea and then we rewrite it 10 times until it, it seems to stick, you know? Absolutely. I mean, and it's true because, you know, if you do go to a cocktail party and someone is a doctor and they'll say, you know, doctor, this really hurts. If you're a writer, they say, oh, you should tell my story. Yes. Or I've always wanted to write a book. And it's like, what would you like me to do? You know, then do it. Or, you know, no, I'm not going to tell your story. You tell your story. Mm. I tell my story. (laughs) Absolutely. And speaking of telling uh, your story, would you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Devil's Party Press, how you came to know them and how they came to accept, you know, the the woman puzzle and what working with them? And- sure. This was just, I had, I, um, my husband and I moved two years ago to, uh, to Delaware, to Milton, Delaware. And um, we knew maybe two people there when we lived in Maryland, when I was a speechwriter in D.C. for years and years, we would go to Lewis for vacation and I had a friend and um and she said I'm down looking at a place called Milton and you always said you wanted to retire to Delaware and to this area I said I did and she said yes you did Mm. (laughs) and so it ended up that my husband and I did go to Milton she ended up in St. Michael's but we ended up in Milton and um through a friend of a friend who I knew vaguely she introduced me um, to Mark, who you've had on. Mm-hmm. And Mark invited us to the writing group, which the first time we went, I don't know if we had the wrong address, but it was like, we couldn't find the damn thing. And I kept thinking, yeah. we're going to be so late. And it was like this horrible, you know, minutes of, oh my God, we're going to be so late. And we found it. And we just, Bill can, and I can just you, slid Can you in. be late to a writer's meeting? Pardon? Can you, can you be, be late? late? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm one of those people... <laughs> Probably from my background, which with, with a stepfather <laughs> who was always on time, um, I was having some panic about being late. Right. And they just kind of, and, and Diane, Diane and um, Dave, it was at their house, and they just kind of opened their arms and we read stuff and we kind of fit in. And, and at some point they started the press. We, had already, we were already in the book hmm. group, and the book group was invaluable, not only for the feedback, but for connection where we lived because we were new. And, um, and then I worked on the woman puzzle. I pulled it up and I thought, you know what? There's a book here that needs to be heard. And maybe it was the Me Too movement. And maybe it was just that it had been sitting there and Anne has been whispering in my ear, when the hell are you going to tell my story? Right. You know, forget what other people are saying that the world isn't ready. She said, I need you to tell my story. And so I started working on it in the group. I got about halfway through um before you know in terms of timing and diane and dave said we want to publish it which was fabulous and so um i quickly kept going through the book and getting it through and my husband also edits for me and i you know it was just um the right time i think it was the right time i think many years ago was not the right time (laughs) and also this was the right place to do it because they they cared about Anne. They cared about her story. They cared that it got out. Uh, Diane was the editor, and at the end of the book, she wrote, I cried. Yeah. And that's what I needed to hear. Yeah, absolutely. You know? 
that yeah. um that was you know sealed it right yeah absolutely i mean you you they, your reader has to feel something or else they'll just put the book down i think that's a a great testament to you know what you've accomplished yeah and it's also important to know that you made the connection yeah right? right. that you connected in some way like even you know i found this book very frustrating but like i read it and i felt a way about it that wasn't blah you know that's uh, i i think that's that's got to be rewarding yeah because when i did have the two agents in new york who did send it out and there were many more publishers at that time not once did one of those agents say i cried right they didn't have the reaction that diane had and to me that was very important if you don't care about Anne, then why the hell are you working with this book mm -hmm. right and and because how are you going to sell it like how yeah. how, how are you going to advocate for it if you don't feel some way about it or another way about it right yeah. i needed someone who felt and and diane and dave did and they worked really hard on it really really hard on it with yeah i think diane and david have done a really good job of creating a, a writing community in milton i think they've done some really great things they've put out some really good work with with devil's parties press and i feel like their energy has sort of been infectious i mean every one of their authors that we've talked to you know including you have this tremendous energy for them and for the press and I think their, you know, response to the work, you know, being enthusiastic about the work. And I feel like so far everyone comes and says, yeah, like working with them, it was just a really great process and we all clicked and it worked. And I think that's an important relationship to have with a work and a, and a publisher. Yeah. And they can't, I mean, if you just look at the book, I can go anywhere reading that book with that cover mm. and people come up and say, what are you reading? Just looking at the cover. Yeah. And they did that. You know, they did that. So I really appreciate it. And even the other day, Diane said to me, we're family. You know, it's not, it's beyond friendship. We're yeah. like, you know, and, and as you get older, you create your own family. Because some of the people in your real family are not people you want to be with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're family. Yeah. So do you, you've got these other two-ish books, two, two books and, and your regular writing. Uh, do you feel like you're going to get to a point where you're like, okay, this one is ready to accept my full attention. This is the one that I'm going to work full time on until it's done. Or like, do you think that there'll be like a turning point where that happens? Well, or? the Queen of Viagra is done from page to page. I know how it ends, but you know, I know the story. So that one is a rewriting. Oh, so that's see. a different project. The one um, called the right now, the title is The Glass Dress um, with Ruth and Naomi and time travel from biblical times to Bethlehem, New Jersey. I mean, this is you know, uh -huh. it's kind that's of a crazy one. It is wild. And so that's like, it tickles me to work on that one. But I also feel like I need to rewrite the one and, and I'm doing that with the group's help. And I really need to focus on the other one. So I, um, I'm just trusting the gods and goddesses of the writer's world, you know, <laughs> to, to kind of whisper in my ear, which one to get done first. I mean, one of them is way farther along than the other one. So mm. probably the Queen of Agra will be done will first. Will be the next one out. And in the meantime, have you, you, you mentioned that you were a poet. Have you been, have you been writing poetry as well? Recently? I have. And I tend to write poetry when something hits me personally. Mm. Um, so I'm writing one now uh, called I Love You, but it's E-Y-E. Uh, and it has to do with an experience. Um, when I've lost friends, like the friend who gave me this necklace, Suzanne, who's one of my mentors, who's, who's gone now, 
or Gloria Emerson, who was a National Book Award winner, who was one of my mentors. When those people pass, I've written poems about them. Also, I feel like they can't write anymore, and I can, and that propels me forward. Right. Well, that's like a beautiful tribute, you know, to, you know, you helped me work on my craft, and I will honor you by continuing to do the craft. Absolutely. So when I feel tired, because when you get older, you feel tired. Uh, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee, so I don't feel tired. Um, I just, I have uh, from their memorial services, I have pictures. I have those on my desk, mm. and they're, they're watching me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to keep doing this because you can't. Yeah. And because you were so loving and so supportive and you cared and you believed in me. And that really helps me to have those two women in particular, Suzanne Byerly and um, Gloria Emerson. Right. Now, Stephanie, this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Judah, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been fun. <laughs> so What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.